Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of, the, of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. 
I'll just pray for Steve as he comes up. Father, we do not believe that these words are any old words. We believe that they are living and that they are breathed out by you. Uh, so we pray that you would change us through them this afternoon and that you would help Steve as he talks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're starting an eight-week series in the book of Daniel. Daniel was a stranger, an alien in a foreign land called Babylon. And we're thinking about what it means to be Christians in modern culture where often we feel like strangers compared to the culture. We feel like the alien, the exile, the outsider. We're in the minority. We're going to think about wisdom for living as an exile this week. This is part one of two. And courage for living as an exile uh, next week, both from Daniel chapter one. Uh, so three things we're going to think about wisdom for living in exile. The need for wisdom, the nuance or nuances of wisdom, and the source of wisdom. Do keep your Bibles open, and we'll go through Daniel chapter 1. The need for wisdom, verses 1 to 5. Why did Daniel need wisdom? Why do you need wisdom if you're a follower of Jesus in 21st century Dublin? Why did he need one as a follower of the living God in Babylon in the 6th century BC? Why? Because he was a resident alien. He was resident. He lived in Babylon, but he was an alien. He was from Jerusalem. He was resident. He, he fully embedded himself. And we're going to think about this in the life and the ways and the culture and the time. One time, one city, one moment. He lived in it. He, was, he was belonged, and yet he didn't belong. He was an alien. He wasn't from that culture. He couldn't understand that. I mean, he didn't understand the language, for starters. He was a Hebrew, and uh, he didn't understand why they ate that food and why they did that, and there were things that were different, and some things he couldn't subscribe to. He was resident. There was so much to love about Babylon. This was a city of opportunity, of learning, of money, of food, of hustle and bustle. This was the capital of the world. In the 6th century, all roads led to, all roads led to Babylon because Nebuchadnezzar was king of the world in a political sense. It was exciting, and it was far bigger and more advanced than the small little Jerusalem from which he'd come from. So he loved Babylon. There was lots to love about it. He was resident, but he was an alien. There was so much to miss about Jerusalem, the language, the friends, the family around the corner that knew him when he was a little boy, and then he could bump into them, and the nostalgia from the previous childhood experiences of restaurants and places he'd eaten and the sports pitches and Singing the Psalms every Sabbath. Ah, oh, he must have missed that. The synagogue, the Jewish festivals. No, I mean, he couldn't go every year, three times a year. All the Jews went to... Ju he couldn't. So why was Daniel? He was a resident alien. He was fully there, but he didn't quite belong there. Why was he there? Well, verses 1 and 2 tell us that Daniel and his three friends were taken into uh, exile during the, during the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Not everyone was taken. This is how it happened. In 612 BC, Nebuchadnezzar beat the Assyrians. In 605, very famously at Carchemish, he beat the Egyptians. After beating the two other mega powers of the world at the time and becoming the dominant power, Babylon, he then turns his attention to small little Jerusalem and these weird Hebrew people. And he doesn't destroy them yet. He's going to do that in 586. This is 605 BC, so it's 19 years to, 
What he does is he takes some of the gold, did you notice, and, and the treasures of their temple, puts it in his temple, but he takes some of the finest, the youngest crop. Look at verse 3. Who did he take? The royal family, the nobility. Verse 4, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And Ashpenaz is the, is the chief of the court officials of Nebuchadnezzar. What does he do with them, verses 4 and 5? He teaches them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them the daily food and wine from the king's table. They were then trained for three years, and after that they entered the king's service. So this is what Nebuchadnezzar was a ruthless monarch, but he was clever. That's why he was the king. So yes, he went and destroyed and conquered the other nations of the world, but because he was clever, he would go and pick the best of those nations and assimilate them into his empire, and he would train them for service in his administration. He was far-sighted enough to think, how am I going to keep the whole empire together if I conquer loads of lands? I'm going to take their best. They're young, the brightest. I'm going to get them back in Babylon. Three years, I'm going to train them in the literature and the ways and the systems of Babylon so that they become insiders. And then I'm going to repost them back out to the nations I've conquered to help run those places with their insiders now of Babylon, but they have the local knowledge where they will go back. Nebuchadnezzar believed he could change people, could conquer them, could own them. It would, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's a bit like ISIS taking over Ireland and they find the finest students from Trinity College and the finest students from UCD and they take them back to Iraq for training in Sharia law. Incidentally, the old city of Babylon is just outside Baghdad. Of course, it's easy to understand why Nebuchadnezzar chose the brightest young men, isn't it? Young men have a mark to, you know, they have to prove themselves. They want to make their mark in the world. They're physically impressive, but they've also got something to prove. And, you know, old people, they've got the family and they're more stuck in their ways. Young people are much more moldable, aren't you? It was clearly his intention by the time he'd finished the three years, Ashpenaz would have created insiders, not foreigners. And some would go back to their homelands. But we'll see here, Daniel and his three friends were so good, the king kept them in the palace for service there. He remained at the center of power. So imagine the shock for Daniel, the trauma of being forcibly removed from your homeland, your family, your culture, the sheer strangeness of the language, the food, the custom, the political system, the legal system, the, the educations, the beliefs. It must have been overwhelming. Daniel, as a young teenager, where do I belong? Who, who am I? What's important to me? Are, are my values just defined by the culture? Because this culture has a very different set of values to the culture that I have come from. How do I interact with these new people? And I actually disagree with a lot of them on lots of stuff, so what, what do I do with that? Is it not loving just to go along with everyone else in this new culture? Being a resident alien is emotionally draining, mentally taxing, and spiritually destabilizing. In Jerusalem, Daniel had a center, a place of belonging, a place of security. At Jerusalem, he felt at ease because he was at home. 
In Babylon, he felt adrift, isolated, confused, fighting in a calm, in a city where he'd one day face lions who would seek to devour him. But truth be told, every day he faced lions as the city sought to devour him and conform him to their, its ways. It was intimidating to be a resident alien in Babylon as a teenage Hebrew. And it wasn't just on the outside, it was on the inside. The human desire to fit in is as old as time itself. This was going to test Daniel's character. Who was he really? Would he stand up to people who might disagree with him? Would he compromise or would he go against the flow, the conflict, the tension, the agony, the uncertainty? How does he handle it all? The pressure. Well, there's two ways to easily resolve the pressure. Two ways to take the pressure valve off. Option number one, the path of compromise, assimilation. I'll just not be an alien. I'll become one of them in every way. I'll eat their food, sing their songs, take on their values, adopt their worldview, fit into their career paths. I'll, I'll leave behind my, my, my past behind and I'll just be shaped by the city. This is the path of assimilation. And the desire to fit in is so strong, isn't it? I remember very early, uh, we've been in Ireland just over 10 years now. And early on in those years, I was joined a very infamous club now called the Kilmercud Croaks. They famously won the All-Ireland with 16 players on the pitch, if you've listened to the news recently. Um, but I went out and I was coaching my, my daughter and my son's teams and the, the dads went out for some drinks and the mums and we, you know, the coaches of the team. And I was a newbie, an Englishman, you know, in, in Ireland and, and the drinks were flowing and, and it was good crack, it was good fun, but I just kept on having a few too many drinks and yeah, it was fun, but it wasn't the fun that got me having too many drinks. It was, I want to fit in here. I just want to be like everyone else. This is what everyone else is doing. I didn't stick to my limits. That's one way to relieve the tension, isn't it? Give in to Babylon. Believe what they believe, do what they do. The second way to relieve the pressure valve of being a resident alien is the path of isolation and retreat. And this actually seems to be more the model that the Jewish people, when they were taken into captivity in Babylon, opted for. Psalm 137 says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we remembered Zion. By where? The middle of the city? The rivers. They'd left the city and gone to the rivers. And there they mourned and they grieved and they considered They'd retreated. Of course, there's a place for that, the shock. You need time. You need to find your own people to think it through. Of course, the reality of being in exile. And they famously said, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? They didn't want to engage. They'd, the temptation to separate. And Christians throughout the years have taken this path too. When faced with the challenge of a, an alien culture, they formed the little holy ghetto to keep themselves to themselves. But this is not what Daniel did, and it's not what God wants us to do. Maybe Daniel had already heard the teachings or even found the scrolls of the prophet Jeremiah who would say to the exiles in, uh, in Babylon, some were saying, just retreat, form a ghetto. He would say, no, 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 no. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers you too will prosper. Babylon would soon destroy the temple, destroy the city, take all of the people into exile. And what were they to do? Serve 
the enemy. Serve the pagan king. God had a role for Daniel as a servant in the city of Babylon. So he wasn't to assimilate and he wasn't to isolate. He was to be a resident alien. He wasn't to compromise. He wasn't to retreat. He was to serve. And so guess what? What did Daniel need? Wisdom. Wisdom. And it's the same today. We haven't been deported from Jerusalem to Babylon, but in some ways Dublin has. To be a follower of Jesus in 21st century Dublin is to put yourself drastically in the minority in a culture that is moving further and further away from Christian values. 40 years ago in Ireland, most people went to church and prayed and, and listened to what the priest said and, and, and whatever else. And the values around sexuality and family, they, was, they were the Christian values on the whole. I'm not saying it was all good. That was the dominant culture. Now the culture tells us, you decide what's right and wrong based on what makes you feel happy, not on any morality from the church or the Bible. The culture says, you look for your identity on the inside, not looking outside to the one whose image you're made in. The culture tells you, you must be tolerant and affirm what anyone else thinks or does and chooses as right and wrong for you. Even if you disagree, you must affirm. The culture tells you, put personal progression over community formation. You do you. You get ahead. Make sure you're happy. Don't worry about other people. And so like Daniel, we find ourselves as resident aliens, tempted to, to compromise, tempted to isolate, and we badly need wisdom. Which parts of Babylon can I engage with? Which parts of Babylon can I not engage with? The need for wisdom. Secondly, though, the nuance of wisdom. What do I mean by that? Well, Nebuchadnezzar's assimilation plan had four elements. Education in the Babylonian culture, a career in the political administration of the state, substitution of Babylonian names for Jewish ones, and adoption of the king's rituals, including food and drink. Daniel's going to say yes to three and no to one. So let's look at the nuance. He says yes to a pagan education, verses 4 and onwards. He learnt the literature of the Babylonians, and Mesopotamian civilization was one of the greatest of the ancient world. They'd made advances far beyond other cultures in literature, mathematics, astronomy, primitive science. But they, their system was also riddled with false gods and idols, and the worldview contradicted Daniel's worldview. But look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel and his friends. After all the learning and the three years, he found none equal. They were the best students. And verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, all the other wise men of his city. This is a great example to any of you who are Christian students. We can well imagine Daniel and his three friends relished his university course, took everything he could get out of it, enjoyed the learning, put, put you know, the language, the literature, the philosophy, the science, the economics, and the history. They were the star pupils. They were the ones that came out with distinctions ahead of the rest. We're going to see Daniel in a minute protests against the system, but it's important to see he did not protest as an observer outside, but as a excellent insider, participant, he protested. 
as someone raising an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old in the education system here that wants to teach my children values around sexuality and gender that on the whole I would disagree with. I want to disagree as an insider, as someone who's understood the motivations, the logic, the emotions, and the reason to why people today think and, and feel as they do. I want my children to learn all about LGBTQ+ and transgenderism, and have friends who subscribe to those ideas and doctrines. And then from the inside, I want to teach my children to bring their Christian convictions to bear. Yes, as a parent, I have a role to protect them, but I, I cannot protect them from the culture unless I take them out of the culture. And that's not what God wants us to do. So instead of protecting them, I must what? Equip them. And so Daniel devoted himself to the learning of everything Babylon had to teach. He could learn all it had to teach, but he didn't have to believe all it assumed. He could master its content without swallowing its falsehood. He said yes to a pagan education. Secondly, he said yes to a political career. Verse 5, he was so good he entered the king's service. Imagine you're a Hebrew. You're far from your nation. And shortly, the king that you serve is going to go and destroy your people. And you're serving him. As he, and he, he's going to, you know, women and men are going to be killed. And I imagine the Babylonians weren't particularly pleasant with the women. And you're serving the corrupt king as he goes back to your place. God had condemned the Babylonians through the prophets many times. Can I serve a corrupt king? Yeah. Many Christians say that Christians shouldn't get involved in politics. It's an ambiguous world full of half-truths, corruption and back-scratching. And of course, that may be true. But Daniel tells us differently. Even a corrupt nation that is destroying yours, you can somehow serve to advance God's greater purposes. When I worked for HubSpot, a tech company here, and I was working for the church part-time, I've only come on board with the church in the last year. And people used to say, how can you work as a salesman? and as a pastor of a church. And I'd always point to Daniel chapter 1. Yes, there were challenges. Yes, there were tensions. Yes, there were ambiguities. Working in business and sales. But that was as much in my heart as the system itself. And yes, I made mistakes. And yes, I got it right. God wants us there to be different. And as in Daniel's case, we should strive to be the best of the best. He said yes to a political career. He said yes to a change of name. Verse 6. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Meshach, uh, Mishael, and Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to us, but it was a big deal then. Your name in the ancient world was the same. Uh, people viewed your name in the ancient world the same way as people in the modern world view sexuality. It defines you. It's a core part of who you are, it's your identity, and so it's yours to decide. No one else gets to decide this for you. And the Hebrew names that they had all reflected the Hebrew God they worshipped, Yahweh. Daniel's name means Yahweh is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh show grace. Mishael means who is like Yahweh. Azariah means Yahweh helps. And they're Babylonian names reflect the Babylonian gods. Belteshazzar means Marduk protects life. Marduk was the main Babylonian god. Shadrach means command of Aku. 
Aku is the moon god. Meshach means who is like Aku. Abednego means servant of Nagu, the son of Marduk. Nebuchadnezzar wanted their names and their god to be forgotten. Now, it's hard to imagine that Daniel and his three friends didn't still call each other Daniel and Meshach and, and all the rest in, uh, in private, but in public they didn't mind their names being changed. It's as if they knew what you name me doesn't just define me, nor does the false god ascribe to my name. I know where I belong. I know who owns me. I know who the real God is. So it, it is remarkable the degree of acceptance to the cultural change that was forced upon them that they accepted. They were acting in line with the advice of Jeremiah, who famously said eventually in his letter, chapter 29, settle down, live there, build houses, marry, increase in numbers, serve, pray for the Babylonians and the city and make a positive difference for your God, the living God, in a culture that doesn't know your God. So three yeses, but one no. Daniel said no to the king's food, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now you may be thinking, why the food and drink? I mean, a pagan education? A political career in that kind of dodgy, corrupt system? A change of name? that The names like reflect Babylonian gods, Daniel. Like, why the food? One person said, when you see how much he was prepared to swallow, it's hard to understand why he couldn't swallow royal meat and wine as well. I mean, if I was choosing, I'd take the royal meat and not do the vegetarian option, okay? Was it to do with the food laws? You know, to be ceremonial, clean, and approach God, you had to have, you have to have eaten the right food in the right way as a Jew. That's important, isn't it? Maybe. Was it more to do with God versus idols, that to eat food was to covenant and give your allegiance to a, to a God? To eat at the king's table and to eat his food was to give your allegiance to the God that the king worshipped. That's what we're going to do in a moment. We're going to come forward, and the food and the drink, it's more about allegiance to a... To, Maybe it's both. Is it ceremonial? Is it to do with allegiance to idols? We don't know, but maybe that's part of the thing. Maybe that's the point. Living in exile as a resident alien is wisdom. There's no rule book. There's no the principles, but there's so many gray areas. Should I say yes to this or should I say no to it? Is this a battle worth fighting? Is this a yes to Babylon or is this I can't get involved in this in Babylon? I'm a Christian sports player. Should I wear the rainbow band? I mean, I affirm the idea of respect and equality of all people, but I don't quite affirm everything the rainbow band stands. Is it a yes or a no? I remember, I have two friends who are both church leaders now, wonderful uh, friends of mine from the past, and uh, one played soccer very high at university and the other one rugby for the first teams, different universities in sports culture. You have all kinds of pressures like this. And in the, in the soccer case, he, he, if you want man of the match, you had to drink a big dirty pint, which would get you drunk straight away. In, in the rugby case, it was, you know, the first week was initiations, and you, you went to your first training, and then you went around the, the, the pubs, and you always got bought far too many drinks so that they could then humiliate you, mock you, and do all kinds of silly things. How were they going to navigate it? A resident alien, wanting to be part of these teams, and yet wanting to honor God. Well, that my friend, the rugby player, 
he said, I'm going to take a tub of salad cream. And every time they tell me to drink a pint, I'm going to fill up a shot of salad cream and neck it. I want to be part of these boys, and I want to have fun. I don't want to be the killjoy, but I don't want to do that. So he was known as, I don't know, Mr. Salad Cream or something. <laughs> and then this friend, well, he, he got man of the match. He knew the dirty pint was coming. It's sort of climax to the conclusion, the celebrations after the game. They had the food, the drink, and everyone's going to get him drunk. And he said, what do I do? He necked the pint and ran home and fell asleep. Is it a yes? Is it a no? It's hard to know, isn't it? I cannot tell you what it means for you. There's three yeses, there's one no. Maybe you go, I'd eat the food, but I wouldn't change the name. Maybe you go, no, no, the name's okay, but I wouldn't get involved in that political system and they're going to go and destroy my people. It's, do you see the nuance? And far be it for me to tell you the right or wrong in every case. Personal conscience plays a big part here. They're decisions that you need to bring before God. And God honored their decision, didn't he? Give us a 10-day trial. You see my heart, God. I'm navigating this gray world as a resident alien. I can't quite decide. But my heart said, I know I've got to... Here's what I do know. You can't always be yes and it can't always be no. For some of you, you need to say yes more to the city. Be less city-phobic, less scared. Get amongst people. Get to know people. Get to know what the enemy is in your mind. For some of you, you just need to say yes more. Not being just, I, my Christian, I don't really have Christian friends. I don't really know anyone that well who's not a Christian. No, that's not a resident alien. Some of you need to say no more. You need to say no to Babylon, no to the city, no to fitting in. Which is it for you? It can't always be yes, it can't always be no. And that's why we have city groups that were just advertised. Because you need to get prayer for every issue you face. And you need people around you going, well, do you think it's a yes or do you think it's a no? Help me, I'm not sure. So the need for wisdom, the nuance of wisdom, the source of wisdom. When we consider the complexity of living as a resident alien in modern Dublin, it can feel overwhelming. The temptation to retreat, the temptation to compromise, it's so real on your heart. It can feel like a burden that you cannot lift, a puzzle that you cannot solve, a fight you can never win, especially if you're a parent of teenagers or especially if you're a young person at university or a young professional engaging in modern culture. Where did Daniel get his wisdom from? Look at verse 9 there. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. Look at verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So God gave the wisdom. But why? That's verse 9. That's verse 17. What about verse 8? Why did God give them? Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel said, I know where my ultimate allegiance lies. Yes, I'm going to serve Nebuchadnezzar and I'm going to serve him better than anyone else. But I serve a greater king, and in my heart I've resolved to who I ultimately will bow. You see, maybe the food and the wine wasn't actually the issue. Maybe it was, what does it say in verse 5? The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Maybe it was more about where he was, not what he was eating. 
And to eat the food and the wine and drink the wine at the king's table was to accept and agree and affirm and give your allegiance to everything that happened at the king's table and all the decisions and everything the king said and did. And if, you, if you're at the king's table, it was saying, I, I buy into everything. It's as if Daniel was saying, you can enroll me in your school, you can teach me your language, you can give me a seat of honor in your political government, you can even change my name, but you do not own me, I will not eat at your table. I serve and belong to a greater king. And so I will say no. Daniel, uh, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Daniel was wise because he feared the Lord. It's so moving to me. Just a teenager. Shipped off to Babylon. So fragile, so persuadable, so moldable, so easy to be devoured by the city and the culture. Miles from home. And yet he'd resolved in his heart to whom I belong and to whom I serve. I know where my allegiance lies. I live for the audience of one. Yes, wisdom is in the mind. We have to learn, we have to think, we have to discuss, we have to even debate. We have to read, we have to listen, we have to make mistakes and learn. Wisdom comes from the mind, but the scriptures tell us, no, 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 wisdom ultimately comes from the heart, the fear of the Lord. The place you give your allegiance, the one you love the most. Who and what you love will determine what you think is wise and foolish. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When I was 18, I went to Ecuador and lived there for nearly a year. I was an alien, a new language, a new culture, a new food, new people. And for most of my time, I lived with a local family in a place called Santo Domingo, one of the smaller towns. And the dad of that Ecuadorian family was called Don Fausto. And Don Fausto was a very ordinary Ecuadorian. And uh, oh, I cried this morning. I didn't think I'd cry twice. He... Uh, He'd, he'd uh, left school at 12 because he had to work the farm. He wasn't educated. I was, I was 18 and I was far more educated than him. But he was much wiser than me and much wiser than most people. Why? Just an ordinary Ecuadorian who'd worked the farm because he feared the Lord. How do you grow in the fear of the Lord? How did Don Fausto get so wise? How did Daniel get so wise? How can, how can you get wise? You need to know the ultimate Daniel the one who would resolve in his heart to become an alien so you could come home. He'd move not from Jerusalem to Babylon, but from his father's heavenly kingdom to an earthly manger. He'd say yes to the education system, even though he was a god before all time and knew all things, he humbled himself and he had to learn the scriptures, even though he was the one that had been the author of them. He'd said yes to playing a role in society, not like a political system. He was a lowly carpenter, and he served people with the best furniture, I imagine. He said yes to a change of name, but it was enforced. His name was dragged through. You call yourself king of the Jews, you're a drunkard and a glutton. They renamed him again and again, and they threw insults at him. He was an outcast, he, and ultimately he experienced the great exile of being judged as a sinner under Almighty God, put aside, rejected, forsaken for our sin. So we, who deserve to be exiles forever, foreigners from God forever, lost forever, 
could be brought home. What did Isaiah say of him? The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And so in his delight of the fear of the Lord, he said no to letting go of you and I. He said no to compromise in the desert when the devil came and tempted him. He said no to cursing his God as God cursed him. He said no to leaving humanity abandoned in an exile that would never end. He brought you home. When you see Jesus resolving in his heart to win you at all kinds of costs, it will melt your heart so you can say, I want to follow you above all else. I fear you above all else. Make Jesus the delight of your heart, the apple of your eye, the pearl of great price, the most magnanimous of captains, the choicest of princes, and you will be wise, wise beyond your years. You want wisdom? You want wisdom to be a resident exile, a, res a, a, a resident alien? You want wisdom to navigate the culture? You want wisdom to navigate university? You want wisdom to navigate your, your workplace, your sports team? You want wisdom one day when you, hopefully many of you become parents? You want wisdom to know, this I can say yes to, this I have to say no to? You want wisdom for all the nuances we're going to have to think through as our culture moves further and further away from Christian values. There's only one way to get the wisdom, and it's to get to know the one in whom all the riches of all wisdom are hidden. And to fear him, delight in him, love him. There's no rule book, but there is a person to know. Resolve to know him. Daniel was just a teenager, but God made him wise enough to handle Babylon in the 6th century. Stay close to Jesus, give your ultimate allegiance to him, and he will make you wise enough to handle Dublin in the 21st century. Let me pray. Well, let's take a moment, just pause. Let's be still before the King of Kings. Lord, we confess our foolishness. We look at Daniel, young Daniel, forcibly transferred to the pagan and intimidating city of Babylon. And yet in his heart he'd resolved to know and you, and you made him wise. And we think of our lives so much more comfortable and sheltered and easy and yet we don't fear you and how foolish we've become so often. So we take a moment to say sorry. Sorry for sometimes not saying yes enough to risk and, and courageous decision making. And sorry for saying no, not enough and compromising. We thank you again as we come to your table that there's fresh grace and fresh forgiveness and an opportunity of a fresh start. And we, we all take that today. Everyone who comes to the table is reminded that we need a fresh start. And as we come, Lord, give us your spirit that we might say yes to you fully, completely this week and this year and for the rest of our days. Would you make us more like Daniel? Help us to be the resident aliens you want us to be, that we might serve this great city you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.